welcome to episode 20 of the Security Matters podcast, where we bring you the latest news, views and opinion from across the UK's dedicated security business sector. My name's Brian Sims and I'm the editor of Security Matters magazine. We're delighted that this podcast is sponsored by the security event, which runs at the NEC in Birmingham on the 7th, 8th and 9th of September 2021. To register for the show, visit www.thesecurityevent.co.uk. Focusing on the latest news now, and one of the UK's most senior counter-terrorism policing officers has warned that COVID-19 is creating an environment in which extremists will find it easier to identify, target and potentially radicalise vulnerable people. Counter-terrorism policing's new senior national coordinator for Protect and Prepare, namely Deputy Assistant Commissioner Matt Twist, has stated that, while most of us have been focused on protecting ourselves and our families from COVID-19, terrorists have not stopped planning attacks or radicalising people online. In point of fact, Twist has revealed that counter-terrorism policing and the UK's intelligence services have now foiled four potential terror attacks during the pandemic, taking the total number of attacks prevented by the UK's counter-terrorism machine to 29 since March 2017. Twist explained, and I quote, COVID-19 is exacerbating the challenging circumstances and grievances within society that terrorists latch onto in order to promote their brand of hatred and extremism, such as economic inequality or pre-existing divisions within communities. The pandemic has stoked distrust in authority and inspired a new wave of conspiracy theories, such as those against 5G technology, which have more easily reached the mainstream. Twist went on to comment, Most importantly, the pandemic has made us all more isolated, making it even more difficult for young and vulnerable people to access the support services such as mental health provision and social care, which they rely on to protect themselves from extremist influence. Embellishing that last point, Twist observed, At the same time, COVID-19 has also driven huge numbers of people to spend a lot more time online. We've seen an increase in the volume of of online extremism and hatred, much of which sits below a criminal threshold, but which inevitably creates a permissive environment which makes it easier for extremists to peddle their brand of hatred. When taken together, that's a potent mix which is a very real concern to us. Twist has also warned that, as the UK begins to ease itself out of lockdown, there will be greater opportunities for terrorists to operate. That means it's vitally important for the general public to play an active role in the authorities' counter-terrorism efforts, by helping counter-terrorism policing to identify those who need protection against extremist grooming via the Prevent Pro. Program. Members of the public can also complete the free online counterterrorism training, namely ACT awareness, in order to improve their understanding of the threat and how to protect themselves. Twist concluded, the cooperation between the public and the police is a powerful defence. The information that the public provides prevents attacks and saves lives. My main message to the public is that any piece of information could be important. It's better to be safe and report it. People know their local community and are best placed to spot when something doesn't seem right. Members of the public must trust their instincts and report anything may believe to be suspicious in confidence. It's worth bearing in mind that reporting will not ruin lives, but it might well save them. Alarm Security and Electronic Call Handling Operations Limited, the not-for-profit industry-backed alarms handling operator, have jointly announced that Banham Security has become the launch customer for Echo. In turn, Banham has also become the first UK alarm receiving centre to be Echo-connected in order to fast-track alarm signals to the police service. For its part, Echo is set to transform intruder and hold-up alarm signal handling when every second counts, while Banham Security is at the very forefront of this initiative, which is purpose-designed to deter crime and facilitate a faster police response. By switching from traditional telephone communication between individual ARCs and police control rooms to an echo-connected process, police response times can be improved by as much as four minutes. It's then simply a case of a far more efficient and effective deployment of police resources to alarm premises. 
all approved ARCs in the UK are now able to become echo-connected and help improve police response times for the certificated alarm systems they monitor. Robust connectivity to Echo is being provided by BT Redcare and CSL Networks. A key component of Echo ARC eligibility criteria is Cyber Essentials and Cyber Essentials Plus certification, which duly demonstrates an ongoing commitment to cybersecurity. Domestic and commercial users of National Security Inspectorate and Security Systems and Alarms Inspection Board approved installers and their professionally installed alarm systems can benefit from ECHO as police forces and ARCs around the UK are ECHO-connected during 2021. Martin Herbert, Managing Director at Balham Security, explained, Balham is delighted to be the first ECHO-connected ARC in the UK. This is an exciting moment, not only for Balham, but also for the entire UK security industry. ECHO's new technology has allowed us to transform the way in which our industry responds to alarm activations by rapidly reducing response times, providing support for the police and affording additional peace of mind for our customers. It has been a great privilege to work in partnership with ECHO in achieving successful end-to-end testing of this groundbreaking technology at our in-house ARC in southwest London. Herbert went on to state, Having remained at the forefront of burglary prevention for over 95 years now, Bannam is very proud to have worked with ECHO in setting up what is undoubtedly a new benchmark for security innovation and alarm monitoring in the security industry. Richard Jenkins, CEO at the National Security Inspectorate, observed, Approved alarm installers across the UK will be able to offer ECHO-connected alarm systems as in turn police forces adopt echo-connected alarm handling. This marks a significant additional degree of assurance for homeowners and also those businesses operating police response alarm systems. Echo Director Martin Harvey concluded, We're incredibly grateful to Bannam Security for its support and assistance in the development of the echo concept over the last three or more years and welcome the business as the first echo-connected UK ARC. The Echo Initiative is a shining example of how collaboration between the police service and the professional private security industry can deliver significant and tangible benefits for all. For more information concerning Echo, the readers of Security Matters can visit the website at www.echo.uk.net. Our first guest on this edition of the Security Matters podcast is Stephen Kenny, Industry Liaison for Systems Architecture and Engineering at Axis Communications, the specialist manufacturer of network cameras for the physical security and video surveillance sectors. Stephen first appeared as our guest on episode 7 of the podcast and has now spent 15 years in the security business sector, undertaking various roles during that time that have seen him assume responsibility for essential elements of mission-critical and high-profile projects right across several key vertical markets. For the last five of those years, Stephen has primarily focused his attentions on how technologies can best complement day-to-day operations and address business issues. Stephen is a committee member for ASIS International's UK chapter, focusing on information systems and cybersecurity, and also serves as the UK technology advisor for TinyG. He's also one of the key drivers, in fact, behind the security convergence movement here in the UK. Last time around, I chatted with Stephen about how security systems have been actively helping businesses during the COVID-19 pandemic. Earlier this week, I caught up with him again to discuss the latest Axis Communications white paper on smart cities, the importance of cybersecurity for physical security devices, and the reasoning behind the layered approach being adopted for today's security regimes. Access Communications white paper about smart cities concentrates on the security measures that should be put in place to effectively protect systems and operations. Why do you believe cities are now so vulnerable? Yeah, good, good question. So I, I think cities are, are probably more vulnerable um, than we've seen them in the past. It's because they, they're trying to take, to some extent, a bit of a new direction. And, and there's a big focus around smart cities. And a, a large extent of that is making what we're 
disparate systems connected and how they can look at the interoperability of all of these systems and how they're going to work together, how they're going to collect data and how that information can sort of be transferred between lots of different departments. And, and essentially, that's brought a whole host of new challenges to the way these systems are being deployed. And uh, we've got to some extent fragmented decision making processes where where people aren't truly understanding the impact of their decisions on other areas of a city and the business. Uh, we've got huge legacy systems that may be 5, 10, 15 years old that they're trying to build into, into some form of new network infrastructure. And these systems just haven't been updated. We've got a lack of ownership to some extent. So so people will will solely focus on the, the operational requirements of these systems. Um, how's this system going to perform? What type of information are we going to get out of this system? And they've not necessarily done their due diligence on the actual technology that is being deployed. And does it embrace all the, the other IT security elements that, that, that cities are looking to adopt in order to, to make sure that they maintain you know, good business ethics with the, the smart city approach, they maintain privacy, and the security of the information is, is captured, is kept secure. So, so lots of areas that I think um, that cities that are going for a smart city sort of approach um, can benefit from just by taking an internal look at a, a number of different areas. And what do you feel can be done to remove some of the barriers to achieving the full potential of the smart environment, while at the same time enhancing security? I think it is all about collaboration. I think if organisations are can take a mature approach to the, the, the procurement process and they can think outside of their own little their own little bubbles, their own little ecosystem that they may work with within their environment, then then it, it will start to open up new avenues, new opportunities. But they'll also identify the knock-on effects of, of their little decision-making process. And by doing so, we can we can look at enhancing the security. And and if we know what what if we know the impact of of our decisions on other stakeholders within an organisation, that can be addressed right at the start of the, the process, rather than rather than sort of trying to plug any holes in in the gaps and letting in unnecessary water. So it, it, it is really about good collaboration between different stakeholders and it is about good communication to make sure that the security is, is sort of at the top of someone's agenda and not as an afterthought. And with a growing number of Internet of Things devices, including surveillance cameras now connected to companies' networks, precisely why is ensuring the cybersecurity or physical security devices now so critical? So when we consider now that, that there's a huge drive around the, the, the sort of the, the term IoT and the, the Internet of Things, and I think there's got to be an acknowledgement that video surveillance cameras are, are IoT devices now. And the sort of the, the proliferation of these type of technologies far and wide, it is no longer protected by, you know, the four walls of a business, especially when we're talking around city type applications so so these might be installed on, on camera poles they might be installed on lighting co um, columns they're installed on the side of buildings things like that well these are connected devices that could to some extent be connected back to an organization's corporate networks and and by doing by doing so they are potentially adding unnecessary risk into um into their sort of it environments 
just by not following um, good cyber maturity or good hygiene when it comes to the deployment of these systems. And I think we're starting to see different organisations take um, take different security approaches. So it's not necessarily about a network security now where, where you assume that you know, once a device has been installed within your network, that it is secure. There's a lot of organisations that are talking around zero trust security models. And in a very positive way, this has changed the way that they will evaluate the actual technology itself. So they're now looking at device security and, you know, the software within the device just to make sure, just to make sure that actually it is aligned to their IT security policies. So there's this huge, huge advancements that we will see there. But when organisations don't get this right and they make these mistakes, um, we, we've seen incidences where people have been able to, you know, hack into school video surveillance systems. Um, and, it, and these aren't really systems that have been hacked. These are systems that have made themselves publicly available on the Internet. And it's one of those things, if, if commissioned and installed correctly, uh, that that risk is taken away from the business. If these systems haven't been commissioned correctly, then it is adding unnecessary risk into into an organisation. And I, and I see from from my side that that cyber attacks and the, the criminal fraternity they will look for the path of least resistance and an exposed IoT device or a network device sat on the outside of a business or outside of a secure environment, could that be the path of least resistance if that technology hasn't been secured? So lots of considerations for businesses. And how can the adoption of a converged approach towards security bring together the worlds of cyber and physical and unite management teams? If we look at a management team, you'd like to think that they all share a common goal and that it's about sort of the business running efficiently and, you know, organisations making a profit or whatever that may be. And we've even seen where people will go as far as saying that as long as my business division positively impacts on our organisation's share price, then I have done my job. And and, and essentially that, that is absolutely all true. And when we when we bring that back to to sort of a, a converged security approach or things around enterprise security risk management, it, it is around breaking down the silos of an organisation when it comes to security. Now, security doesn't sit or shouldn't sit with with one individual because the reality of it is everyone's behaviour within an organisation can impact the. The, the cyber secure elements of that organisation, and that can be that can be from the cleaner right the way up to the CEO, and um, their individual behaviour can impact the security of that organisation. Uh, and by breaking down the silos and the physical security teams communicating with the IT security teams and the man guarding teams. What it is that they're looking to, to deploy, what where their investment is going, what the strategy is aligned to the business's sort of threat and risk landscape, then collectively by, by working together as a team, they can they can start to, to sort of mitigate any of those risks. Now it would be an absolute catastrophic sort of disaster if the deployment of physical security systems created 
the risk within the cyber, the IT environment within an organisation just because a system hasn't been installed correctly or the physical security deployment is only focused on the operational requirements to address a specific issue, but they've not looked at the IT implications and the knock-on effect if that system hasn't been set up and commissioned correctly. And what role can surveillance, access control and other security solutions play in securing the smart environment? Um, well, when we when we talk around smart environment, um, that can be many, many different things, whether or not it's a smart building, um, whether or not it's like a big shopping environment, They like some shopping large shopping centres will see themselves as, as small smart cities or smart environments and then, and then we obviously have a city as a whole, smart places. So they all bring their own different challenges but if, if we look at if we look at sort of video surveillance and, and how that is how that's being deployed today and access control, these are just common technologies that are very very well established and they're technologies that have got great integration and interoperability with lots of different subsystems and their deployment should be no different based on the environment that they're being installed in and i would always go back to analyze the analyze the associated threats to the the smart environment and then make um, make sensible business decisions based on what technology will address that risk and by doing so, we can make smart procurement decisions and we, we, we can allocate the right technology because not all technologies are the same. There's, you know, we, we have sort of small to medium sized uh, systems that might be right for one application right the way up to sophisticated enterprise systems. So it, it's about it's about make it's about deploying the right technology for the right application based on the associated risks. And I don't think that that should change. Um, and should change any organization's approach depending on what type of what type of environment it is it is just making and um, just evaluating and doing your due diligence to make sure the right technology is picked and as cyber attacks become more commonplace and physical crime also becomes more targeted why is a layered approach towards security now such an important consideration for today's practicing professionals uh, yeah, I think I think I referenced it earlier. When, when we when we think of um, the, the mindset of of sort of a, a cyber attack or you know criminals, and when we say they they will take the path of least resistance, um, that is about making sure that the organisation is secure as possible. And, and when we when we look at um, the deployment of physical security, and we look at the importance of a layered approach you know it's putting hurdles and it's putting barriers in place throughout throughout the sort of the, the approach to an organization and and that shouldn't just be physical it should be the it security so so when we're looking at sort of the firewalls and we're looking at the different types of technologies and how they're installed so 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 the it security and the physical security they, they work within the sort of same type of um same type of environment just in slightly different ways and if we can make it as hard for individuals and sort of criminals to, to access these buildings or access these networks, naturally they will go and find an, an easier target. Because at the end of the day, the, the, the quicker that they can they can breach a system and get the information or 
the data that they need or or get the, the assets that they need, the quicker that they can get out and move on to the next one. And when, when we consider organised crime, it is no different in, in different types of applications or different types of environments. And, and by taking a layered approach, it, it gives us the opportunity to identify the, the risk as early as possible um, so it can be addressed in due course. And, and I think most businesses now are, are putting are putting a laid approach to their security, um, in, in whether it be IT or physical security. Returning to the news now, and the government has just published an update on its progress in tackling economic crime and delivering on its ambition to ensure that the UK remains a transparent, safe and open environment for global business to be transacted. Launched in 2019 following approvals from the Economic Crime Strategic Board, the Economic Crime Plan sets out an ambitious programme of work initiated to tackle fraud and money laundering and also outlines precisely how the UK's public and private sectors would work together to improve responses to economic crime. The statement of progress has been published following a meeting of the Economic Crime Strategic Board back in February. It describes how the government has worked through the coronavirus pandemic to tackle economic criminals and disrupt hostile actors. The Statement of Progress pinpoints an improved understanding of the threat, including through the third publication of the UK's National Risk Assessment of Money Laundering and Terrorist Financing and the establishment of a fusion cell within the National Economic Crime Centre itself. It also highlights how vulnerabilities in the system are being addressed, including by updating anti-money laundering requirements. There's mention of investment in law enforcement. Here, an extra £63 million has been set aside by the government for the Home Office to drive efforts in dealing with economic crime and cracking down on fraud. Home Secretary Priti Patel has stated, I will not tolerate criminals lining their pockets with dirty money at the expense of law-abiding citizens. This statement shows that we've made progress, but it's vital that we continue to work with the private sector and law enforcement to win the fight against economic crime. John Glenn, Economic Secretary to Her Majesty's Treasury, commented, Our collective efforts have already made it harder for criminals to abuse the UK's global financial centre, but there remains a lot of work still to be done. It's crucial that we continue to work closely with public and private sector partners alike to understand the threat, address vulnerabilities, and also crack down on illicit financial activity. The Economic Crime Strategic Board is a government task force chaired by the Home Secretary and the Chancellor of the Exchequer. It works with senior figures from the UK's financial, legal accountancy, insurance and property sectors to tackle economic crime and protect the public and industry from scammers and fraudsters. The forward delivery plan within the Statement of Progress includes measures to tackle illicit finance, cracking down on a range of threats that underpin cash-based money laundering, such as the use of money mules, for example. The government will continue to work closely with the private sector to ensure the UK's status as a global financial centre and to make absolutely certain that the ease of doing business cannot be taken advantage of by the criminal fraternity. The government's 50-page Statement of Progress on the Economic Crime Plan covering the period from July 2019 through until February of this year, is available to download in PDF format by visiting gov.uk. A new online service which alerts organisations to potential cyber attacks affecting their networks has just been launched by the country's cybersecurity experts. The new early warning service from the National Cyber Security Centre, itself a part of GCHQ, is designed to help organisations defend against cyber attacks by providing timely notifications about possible incidents and security issues. The free service automatically filters through trusted threat intelligence sources to offer specialised alerts for organisations such that they can investigate malicious activity and take 
take the necessary steps to protect themselves. Organisations are being encouraged to sign up for early warning, which was launched on the first day of the National Cyber Security Centre's Cyber UK virtual gathering, during which Home Secretary Priti Patel gave a keynote speech. The launch follows on from a successful trial involving users representing a range of sectors. Eleanor Fairford, the National Cyber Security Centre's Deputy Director for Incident Management, has said, when it comes to defending against online threats, having relevant and timely alerts about malicious activity that you can trust is vital for any organisation. The National Cyber Security Centre's new early warning service delivers on this by providing organisations with specialised alerts about potential cyber threats affecting their networks. Fairford continued, we encourage organisations to sign up for this service. It will help them to resolve security issues quickly and reduce the risk of serious harm being done. One of the National Cyber Security Centre's key roles is to be a point of support and contact for organisations reporting cyber incidents. Early warning is the latest active cyber defence service aimed at helping them improve their cyber resilience. Subscribing to early warning comes with a number of unique benefits, including alerts based on an organisation's network details and access to information feeds that are not available elsewhere. Organisations will receive different types of alerts covering possible network compromises, notification of precisely how their assets have been associated with undesirable activity, or about their networks running vulnerable services that may need updating. The early warning service is designed to fit into an organisation's wider defence strategy and also complement existing cybersecurity controls by adding another layer of defence. Cybersecurity experts in the UK have overseen a massive 15-fold increase in the number of scams removed from the internet. In its fourth annual report on the Active Cyber Defence Programme, the National Cyber Security Centre disclosed the fact that it's taken down more scams in the last year than in the previous three years combined, as the organisation has moved to further protect the UK's public and critical services, such as the NHS, during the coronavirus pandemic. The Active Cyber Defence Programme is a pioneering service which protects the UK from millions of cyber attacks. It was first expanded during 2020. The National Cyber Security Centre's response to the pandemic included the introduction of the hugely successful Suspicious Email Reporting Service, itself a new feature of the Active Cyber Defence Programme launched in April last year and which received nearly 4 million reports of suspect emails from members of the public in 2020 alone. The organisation also worked with allies to call out hostile state activity and exposed Russian attacks on coronavirus vaccine developments. To help ensure young people were able to continue learning valuable cyber security skills, the National Cyber Security Centre also moved its cyber first courses online for the first time, in turn leading to record numbers of sign-ups. Lindy Cameron, CEO at the National Cyber Security Centre, has stated, The Active Cyber Defence Report offers a helpful insight into just some of the ways in which the National Cyber Security Centre has adapted to protect the UK during the pandemic. Whether it's been protecting vital research into the vaccine or helping people to work from home securely, the National Cyber Security Centre has worked with partners to protect the digital homeland during this unprecedented period. Dr Ian Levy, Technical Director of the National Cyber Security Centre, added, the Active Cyber Defence Programme is truly a collaborative effort. It's thanks to our joint efforts with partners both at home and internationally that we've been able to significantly ramp up our efforts to protect the UK. This has never been more important than in the last year, where it was vital for us to do everything we could to protect our most critical services and the wider public during the pandemic. The bold defensive approach taken by the Active Cyber Defence Programme continues to ensure our national resilience. I would urge public bodies, companies and the general public to sign up to the services available and help everyone to stay safe online. One particular area of focus for the Active Cyber Defence Programme last year was protecting the NHS. 
The annual report details efforts designed to monitor for attacks that sought to harvest NHS credentials and potentially compromise critical systems. In 2020, the Active Cyber Defence Programme detected 122 phishing campaigns using NHS branding. This compares with 36 detected campaigns in 2019. Among the lures were those using the COVID-19 NHS vaccine rollout, the first of which was picked up in December. Others included fake or unofficial copies of the NHS Test and Trace mobile app, with the removal of 43 instances of NHS apps hosted and available for download outside of the official Apple and Google app stores. Beyond the NHS, other areas protected included TV licensing, which saw a surge in attacks that corresponded with news of changes to TV licensing entitlements for UK pensioners during July 2020. While the level of Brexit-themed UK government phishing was low during 2020, attempts to clone part of the gov.uk website were identified in December. The attack was negated very quickly and the relevant departments notified. Our second guest on episode 20 of the Security Matters podcast is George Tanus, Director of Strategic Alliances at Genetech, the provider of IP video surveillance and access control solutions in the security market. George joined Genetech in October 2016 in the role of Director for Global Strategic Partnerships. In May 2019, he added Director of Marketing Responsibilities for Europe, the Middle East, Turkey and Africa to his remit. Based in Paris, George is tasked with guiding the continued growth of the Genetech brand in the EMEA region, while also continuing to oversee the company's global portfolio of Strategic Technology Alliance partners. Very much a key player in the global Genetech marketing leadership program, George works closely with the sales teams to build powerful demand generation, channel engagement and end-user awareness initiatives. The proud holder of an MBA from the Ivy Business School at Western University, George joined Genetech from Bell where he worked across various partner integration roles during a 14-year tenure with the telecommunications provider. During our interview, George looks at the results of Genetech's recent state of physical security survey for the EMEA region, hybrid cloud-based systems for physical security regimes, and also the benefits of building security operations on a unified platform. Why did you decide to conduct the State of Physical Security Survey for the EMAA region? Uh, Good question. Um, Genetech at the core is an engineering firm that's really focused on delivering solutions to solve our customers' problem. And we take uh, great pride in making sure we really understand our customers' environments, what their challenges are, uh, in order to really deliver on our promise. We try to not just push trendy technology. And with the uh, pandemic, that added a layer of complexity that I'm not sure we understood as a manufacturer. And so um, this survey really helped us get an objective uh, understanding uh, on, you know, what are the commercial challenges? What are the top priorities? What's going on from a budget perspective? And our intent was really to, you know, continue to help our customers face those challenges, and also uh, help our channel partners and our distributors understand how to uh, collaboratively work with us and the end users to overcome um, some of these problems. Um, Also, we've been known to have some of the biggest end users in Europe, and so this really allowed us to share some of this data across our end user ecosystem so that customers can see what's happening within the region, whether it's uh, across multiple verticals, also across multiple countries. And so at the end of the day, with Genetech, it starts with the end user and it ends with the end user. And I feel like the results that we have from the survey really helped us get a better understanding of what's happening currently. What are the realities that we need to deal with? 
And following on from that, could you outline what you believe to be the key takeaways for the readers of Security Matters, George? Yeah, so I think there's there's lots of takeaways, but if I had to sum it up to the three key things that we walked away from and we're working towards uh, solving uh, and helping our customers meet those demands is that from a project perspective, what's being prioritized is everything that's linked to access control, identity management, and video analytics. And when we look a little bit deeper on this, I believe that this is really linked to the need to manage flow and controlling environments as our end users look to go back to their natural environment. So that's the first piece. The second piece that we saw is that when we asked the budget question, we saw that 70% of the respondents confirmed that their budgets for security is either staying flat or actually going up, which was a, quite a pleasant surprise to see that um, when it comes to security, uh, our end user community is actually continuing to invest and they're not putting this on a back burner, even though obviously budgets overall are being constrained. And um, last but not least, 67% of the respondents confirm that they are currently reviewing and prioritizing their cybersecurity strategy and practice. And uh, while this is a good number, I think this is only the beginning and, and, and we're happy to see that, especially against the survey that was done in the Americas where that number was a lot lower. So we're proud of our uh, European uh, end users to be uh, really taking the lead and, and focusing on that part of the business. Now, as a business, Genetech has stressed the importance of cybersecurity for some time now, George. The results of your survey indicate that physical security professionals are very much focused on this subject. What role do you believe the rest of the supply chain needs to play in ensuring surveillance systems are actually cybersecure? Yeah, I think this is an important uh, question to address. And honestly, I'm not a cybersecurity expert by no means, but being a Genetech employee, I we live, breathe, eat, sleep, cybersecurity. And this is actually part of the makeup of our company and the way that we are managing our business. And so we try to evangelize as much as possible with our channel partners, with our distributors, and of course, with our end users, as well as our partner ecosystem, the importance of getting ahead of this. And at this point, we are quite behind. And there's multiple reasons. The threats are becoming much more sophisticated. Uh, we have not had the focus and infrastructure to be able to support this. The investments have not been there uh, up to now. And there's so many more connected devices and connected people. So that's kind of the perfect combination for us to be in a, in a, in a position where these threats are very real. And in terms of what the supply chain needs to do, I think, you know, the base is developing strong platforms, uh, a strong uh, backbone, making sure your network uh, is uh, protected. The frameworks uh, have, you know, what they need to have to ensure there's no breaches, but that's just the base. Where you take it to the next level, I think having strong governance and processes to avoid and mitigate cyber attacks is really where, as we say, the rubber hits the road. You can have the most secure infrastructure, but if you don't have the governance and the processes to support this, you're leaving yourself wide open. I think, uh, you know, as professionals in this industry, 
We need to promote that this needs an investment. There needs to be expertise within each organization to ensure best practices like cyber hygiene are are prioritized. And also that when we look at our ecosystems, we're paying close attention to who we partner with. And, you know, Genetech took the, um, was at the forefront of the story when we made some real key decisions as to who we're willing to bring into our ecosystem and connect to our platforms and who we would keep out. That's a very, very key uh, part of making sure that we're managing um, our environment and that we are doing everything we can to be as cyber secure as possible. Because the truth is, uh, there's no 100% guaranteed solution uh, to this, but I think we owe it to uh, ourselves, our end users, uh, to make sure we're doing everything we can in terms of in, uh, investment in this area. And why is Genetech such a strong advocate for hybrid cloud-based systems when it comes to physical security regimes? Yeah, I think this is an important part of how our business is, the evolution of our business. And I think I would be careful in saying that we're advocate. I think we are advocate of providing our end users the choice. Traditionally, the security uh, industry has really been focused on CCTV and closed-ended on-prem systems, but there's some disadvantages to certain end users and certain customers, depending on what they're looking to do in their environment. And so um, from a genetic perspective, we're offering this hybrid where you can do both. Uh, You can either go completely cloud, you can go completely on-prem, but you can also do the hybrid um, cloud solution, which is what we try to promote depending on the end user's needs. You know, if I take an example where a customer needs to be able to remotely look at, um, uh, monitor uh, their, their, their platform, if they need to share video um, digitally very quickly, or if they need to access um, some of their um, video and, and, and uh, for, for regulations, for that type of customer, a cloud solution makes sense or a hybrid cloud solution makes sense. But it's not to say that, you know, if you're running uh, a solution that needs to be closed, that has, you know, high end government information, you don't want to have cloud, you don't need to share, you don't need remote access, then obviously um, an on-prem solution is just fine. I think the, the, the story that we're trying to tell is at the end of the day, depending on your environment, we can offer both types of infrastructure. And again, at the end of the day, I go back to my first point is that uh, we're very end user focused and we're trying to find solution for our end, for our customers to be able to manage their environments. Our customers have uh, you know, more people, bigger environments, more threats. Uh, and so again, we're trying to do everything we can to, um, to help them solve some of those challenges. And what do you believe are the benefits of building security operations on a unified platform, George? Yeah, I think this has been a debate, the difference between integrated and unified. And honestly, they're not the same. At the end of the day, uh, a unified platform is where software is, you know, built together to stand together. And integrated is when you have different uh, code that's connected through more software. And I could give you the standard answer by saying, you know, a unified platform offers you a centralized dashboard, a single UI, consolidated and uh, consolidated view that's more cost effective, you know, 
better support. But at the end of the day, what this really comes down to is that a unified platform is developed as one unit, one product. This means you can turn on and off these systems, but you can't break the connection because they are built to be one unified solution. Uh, the unified solution from the ground up is consolidated. It, it helps you consolidate all your data. And from there, if you want to add modules, which there's so many integrated solutions now, it still allows you to have your core solutions in a unified platform. So there's less chance for uh, software friction. Uh, you have greater ability to pinpoint if there are problems. You know, when it comes to upgrades and maintenance and training, it's all done with one manufacturer. And there's a, a lot less risk when you're looking at a unified platform versus integrated. Now, uh, one thing I want to add is that, you know, we have a unified platform, but it's still an open platform. So we have, you know, 900 integrations with 500 different technology partners. And that, uh, that doesn't mean that we're, we're keeping those integrations out. It just means that your core system sits on one developed product. It's completely unified and you can add to it uh, while maintaining greater stability. And finally, George, as businesses start to return to normal operations with stores reopening and warehouse managers looking to make up for downtime, for example, which technologies do you think will play an important role going forward? Yeah, I think I actually will rely on the data that we were able to pull from the survey. Uh, when you look at the projects that are being prioritized, it's access control, identity management, and video and uh, analytics. And this leads us to believe that it's all about managing flow uh, in the environment. So making sure the right people are in the right places, making sure you have control over the number of people that are allowed in certain spaces, uh, always knowing who's coming and who's going in case you have to do contact tracing. Uh, I think it's a bit of going back to core products. You know, we saw this explosion uh, on discussions on AI and uh, everybody wanted to rely on, you know, facial recognition and all of this automated uh, workflows. But I think we're in a period where we need to focus on making sure that we have accuracy and we have core uh, solutions that are going to help us this go back to work transition period with great accuracy and, uh, and an ability for us to rely on these solutions. So again, it's going to be all about making sure you have uh, unified, uh, unified access control, really good identity management, and some uh, really base lining video analytics. And uh, what are you going to do with this data? So I think having um, the ability to look at dashboards and create customized information portals on understanding, you know, uh, what flow is, if you need to redirect flow, if you, you know, need to make changes in terms of where people are coming in and out, etc. It's all going to come down to these core modules. And we're already seeing that materialize as we go into the second quarter of 2021. That brings us to the end of this latest edition of the Security Matters podcast. Many thanks indeed to Stephen Kenny from Access Communications and George Tanus of Genetech for their highly valued contributions. 
Many thanks also to our podcast sponsors, the Security Event. The Security Event runs at the NEC in Birmingham on the 7th, 8th and 9th of September 2021. To register for the show, visit www.thesecurityevent.co.uk. Don't forget to visit our website at www.securitymattersmagazine.com where you can access our podcasts and also read the latest news and opinion from the security business sector. You can view our dedicated features content and sign up to receive our very popular weekly news bulletins. Please do contact us if there are any key themes or issues you would like us to explore on upcoming broadcasts. You can do so on Twitter by using the hashtag SecurityPod. On that note, make sure you follow us on Twitter at WBMSecMatters. Please do like and share the podcast content and spread the word among your industry colleagues. You can listen to the Security Matters podcast for free on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube or Podbean. To download the podcast on iTunes or Spotify, all you need to do is enter the term Security Matters into your chosen platform search box. We'll see you next time.